0: Hello, and welcome to Inspired, your grown-up girl talk. Glad you're here with us today. I'm Stacey Police. I'm here with Samantha Trudelius, as always. Here I am.
1: Here I am. And what? Uh, just another power day of women doing amazing things?
0: I mean, we try. We try. We've got a long list every day that we try to get through. Sometimes we make it. Sometimes we don't. And it's all OK. At the end of the day, whatever we've done is exactly what we were meant to do. But today's guest is um, no stranger to all of that. Um, You know, I I always love speaking with the entrepreneurs who had these amazing corporate jobs, working their way up the corporate ladder, doing these fantastic things, and then decide to take this major right turn and go, oh, I'm just going to do my own thing because I can do it better. And 99% of the time, she's right. Yes, she is. Um, So today we have with us Nev Tomich, am I saying that right you
2: got it look at her she did a great job thank you
0: and, and you are CEO and founder and I'm gonna bust out my high school French right now uh okay. CEO and founder of La Beauté Fatale yes nailed it again just um love, it, please. loved it what well, I mean you know three years when <laughs> I was a teenager it just rolls right back plus we were in Paris in September let's be honest right yes, yes. go. Um, I do love the, I do love the company name and I, I, um, I love the fact that, uh, you talk about that every woman carries an inner beauty that is powerful, strong, and my favorite part, destructive. Um, so I do want to unpack that, but before we go there, I would like to back up a little bit. You did come from corporate side. You had some amazing success with a lot of very well-known companies, um, Seem to have, you know, the uh, the the situation handled there and then decided to make yourself uncomfortable and do your own thing, which uh, a lot of people wouldn't do, but I, I love that you're doing it. So talk, talk a little bit about how this even came to be because I do yeah. think it's a cool story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think that my story is pretty unique and I always try to make sure that people hear the backstory because you see so many people's, spending so much time in corporate and really giving a lot of their lives to another company. And for a really long time, that was me. I would start a new corporate job and I would act like it was my company. I put so much passion and just effort and work into that role. And um, that's essentially what led me to want to start my own business. I've always been in fashion and beauty. I've worked for a lot of different corporations on the retail and merchandising side, Um, And I think what's really cool is that throughout the years, you want to take all of your experiences and put them into a toolbox that you can later utilize that'll be most beneficial for yourself. So when you're working for corporate offices, I mean, I think, of course, you want to do a good job. You want to overachieve. You definitely want to be a part of that company and a part of their goals and strategic successes. But at the end of the day, you're, you're there for a reason. And it's to put yourself first at some point. And the best way to do that is to accumulate as many skills and just different talents that you can, that you could put into your own ways of generating income, which is what led me to starting my own business.
0: It is true in those corporate roles, like you, you are, you're working hard because you want to succeed. You want to have, you have such pride in your work, but you are building for somebody else. But flip side, there's so many of us that get in that comfort zone and feel just um, comfortable, protected, uh, you know, that the risk-taking that is involved with leaving something that's a sure thing uh, to go and build something that is you know make or break it's on you so yeah. um what was what was kind of the final step for you where you went okay i'm out like yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna take these, I'm gonna take these skills and i'm gonna use them for me
2: yeah so i remember um i was working as a buyer for color cosmetics and i was in charge of selecting all of the brands that and the items that would live on the shelf for a major retailer um, a drugstore retailer and in the meetings for about a year i would try the product on my face i would put on the lipstick i would put the powder on i would put the eyeshadow on and so all day i was trying different products And I remember thinking to myself, wow, so pre this role, I had relatively good skin, not a lot of blemishes post this position. I'm having breakouts, um, blemishes, dry spots, and just irritated skin. So I started looking at what were those different ingredients and I, I didn't know what any of them were. So of course, here I am going on Google, putting in all these ingredients and finding that some of them were even like carcinogens. Formaldehyde, preservatives, glue, plastics, alcohol, which is used for fragrance, but a lot of things that a lot of other countries don't allow. So if you think about the EU, you know, they're very strict on what is allowed in their products. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, so because I've been putting these harmful chemicals on my skin for X amount of months, I'm now seeing my skin deteriorate. And I thought to myself, I'm a consumer of this specific retailer and all the other ones. And I thought, is anyone mm, putting any type of rules or regulations around these chemicals? So I went to the FDA's website and I found that a lot of these companies' brands are not required to submit samples of their products to the Food and Drug Administration for approval. So no rules. No rules.
0: And is this were these products that you could find like drugstore products all the way up to high-end department store products? Like, like we're yeah. not just talking, are we just talking the cheap ones or cheaper ones? I shouldn't say cheap, cheaper, or are just we talking just the whole gamut?
2: Well, if you think about what was happening in beauty at that time, drugstore retailers were starting to tap into more luxe brands. And the lux brands are a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to their ingredients, but I wouldn't say that they're, like, fully clean. Back when I was a buyer, you know, it's not, like, gluten-free, dairy-free, organic. Those claims were not predominant in the retail marketplace. So what ended up happening was that, you know, at that time people, like you said, it was a free for all. Everyone could put whatever they wanted in there. The luxury brands were kind of picking up on market trends that were coming from other countries. Um, but I think here's the key takeaway. If a, if a product is going to live on a shelf, it lives there for about three to five years. So in order for it to live on the shelf, it needs to have a preservative. So Yeah. So, and that applies to many different categories, right? Like it's not just cosmetics that applies to skincare, body washes, sun care. Um, and so I think the key takeaway for me at that point was if I have a product that can only be sustainable for six months, then that tells me that those are more ingredients that when they penetrate my bloodstream will not cause any type of illnesses or, you know, diseases or anything else of that nature.
1: So here's what I find fascinating is that we've, we've talked to many, you know, retailers of clean beauty. One of our dear friends owns, you know, a big retailer that sells, you know, and it goes through a very rigorous, you know, assessment, but it's like, now we're, we're really realizing as women, like the shit that we're putting on our skin guys is not what we think it is. And it's not great. And, you know, just because it's got a nice label, nice name brand, it's like when you peel back the, uh the the cloak, so to speak, you're finding things that are like, yeah, this is why this is happening or this is why that is happening. So now you've taken this information and you're you're like, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a clean, better product and, and get it out there in the world. So, you know, you've got a, a very successful business and sold a ton of products. So like, how does one even like make something like that come to life? I mean, I'm you sure it wasn't just like an overnight. T- yeah. You wake up Tuesday and go, okay, here we go.
0: Like, what, is that, what does that look like? Yeah,
2: what does that look like? Well, I mean, I think I remember when I left my job at that time and leaned into my business, Thanks. I was really thinking about ways to give back to the community. So at that time, I left my corporate role and started the business and hired interns from a local college and was mentoring them. Um, about how to start a business. But what was amazing was that they had so many disruptive ideas on how to break into the market, that they were fashion students um, who were focusing on marketing and management and design. And so they really hit the ground running and were really big advocates for my company and coming up with these really cool ideas that were unique to the internet. And that's kind of how we, you know, landed some of our largest partnerships that led to some of the big unit movement.
0: So that's interesting, because you're I mean, admittedly, this is a pretty crowded space. Mm -hmm. And so for you to then step in and create something new, unique, different, you do need sort of the disruption to get it out there. But I'm curious, like, what were some of the things that they came up with that you were like, yep, we're doing that?
2: Yeah, so um, one of the big things was an education platform to start educating people. So, you know, in the event that we were doing partnerships, I essentially required everyone to incorporate key verbiage in all of their marketing collateral around the harmful chemicals. So for me, it wasn't so much about making money; it was more so about finding a clear affinity between like illnesses and diseases with what we're putting on our skin, regardless of cosmetics, skincare, body washes, hair care, whatever it may be. So a big requirement was that any product that was going out into the market or into beauty boxes, I basically required that they used, you know, four to five sentences as how to educate women, men and everyone in between as to what those chemicals are and why you should pay attention to the label. And I think what consumers found is that they became really um, appreciative of the knowledge share and it led to really strong return rates and just a high loyalty with the database that we created.
1: Knowledge is power, right? And (laughs) when you you actually learn a little bit, you kind of shift mind. And, And as a mother of young daughters that are now starting to like, get into the gloss and the, you know, the, this and the, that it's, you know, my daughter was all up in arms about her Dior lip oil. And Oh my God, mom, you have no idea. And I'm like, hold on a second. There's probably something better out there for our lips, right. That can, they can, a lot of times you don't think about it, but the, the better beauty products that are made better are actually better lasting and they do a better job in many cases. Okay. But
0: can mm-hmm. we also say that a 12 year old does not need Dior?
1: your hundred percent. Everything else. Let's okay. show- I know I've created a monster. I've created yeah. a monster and I'm well aware of it. So your line, let's talk about it. What do you got in there? What do you, what are you doing? How, what, yeah. what's the, the the theme behind it? Yeah, well, thanks for the for the lip oil um, plug there, because
2: you'll notice a lot of brands are getting success from Instagram. So, you know, to your point, like the younger demographics are becoming very influenced and motivated by Instagram. And so there's not a lot of education behind those posts. So like you said, the younger demographic is leaning towards um, different products and brands without having that back knowledge. Um, So thanks for plugging that. But in terms of what we provide, so the Products for me that, that we produce are EU compliant, halal certified, animal cruelty free, um, hypoallergenic, non-comedogenic, which means they don't clog pores. Um, that's what causes blemishes, and you know, no plastics, no glues. But essentially, the key ingredients that I like to focus on are antioxidants, um, coconut oils, beeswax, vanilla extracts. And, you know, if you think about essential oils, essential oils is now popping up to the top as really this cool new need state. And I would love at some point to start incorporating essential oils um, because those are highly concentrated um, oils and liquids that can really lead to some strong benefits too. So, you know, I think unless you're creating lipstick at home by yourself as like a do it yourself project, it'll never fully be as clean as what we want. Um, but I'm trying my best to just have the right substitutes and replacement ingredients that um, are quick swaps that um, you know inevitably inevitably it leads to a higher retail price point but if you're willing to invest in your health um, in the long run it'll it'll pay off so
0: so you've had this company for five years so in my world you were kind of an early adopter on this because I was probably, a later adopter. I. It took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, okay, like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to go with these clean products. Um, And I basically, sh- I've shifted everything yet, but I've shifted a chunk of it. But five years ago, when you wanted to launch this, I mean, no, no, anything basically is what you've got in it, right? <laughs> like, you know, yes. allergenic, paraben-free, fragrance-free, um, allergy-tested, not you know, no testing on animal. Like how hard was that to make something where you're like, let me take out everything. And now I have like um, peanut butter and oat milk to work with. Let's make it. Well, how was that at the beginning?
2: Yeah. So it's funny you said that. Cause like most recently there was this um, lawsuit on another brand, a very, very large brand um, because some of the pigments that they had in their powders when applied near the eye cause irritation and actual staining, um, on the skin. And so brands like those utilize synthetic colors. They're, you know, truly a a chemical. It's, it, it really is like a synthetic bonder that creates different colors. The difference with my brand is that we produce colors based on, um, seeds and just like natural origins of like plants. So that's where we, that's how we come up the actual color instead of using synthetic additives. So those are kind of, like you said, like when we think about ways to get creative and come up with colors, it's really just about doing your research out there to find out how can you um, utilize different extracts or ingredients that are common out there. They're just not common in beauty. And so I partnered with another country, uh, a manufacturer in another country and told them exactly what I wanted to do. They were extremely supportive. They had very strict guidelines on how they produce their makeup and I import it um, into the United States. And that allows me to um, feel a little bit more about the procedures in which the products are being manufactured. How
0: do you find a manufacturer like that? Like you're, you know, you're sitting at at home and- well, now Florida, but I mean, you, like it, I mean, <laughs> you don't just go to the yellow pages, like yes. how do you find them?
2: So I guess you could approach it the same way you would, if you were working for, you know, your boss and they came to you and said, Hey, go find me a manufacturer. Like what would be the roadmap? And, you know, a, the, the way I approached it was I started attending trade shows. I did my own research. I looked at other countries, rules, re- regulations, compared it to the United States rules and regulations. Um, uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, let's we got to get that up. Um, I think people are starting to catch on um, to that piece. Ideally, I'd love to bring my manufacturing into the United States, it would save me a lot more money, and it would be less of a hassle. And I think hopefully we'll get there. Um, But yeah, I think I just approached it in just a very experimental research manner, getting out there talking to people seeing what works, what didn't. It was kind of just like a project. It took between six to eight months before I felt like I found the right partner, you know, ordering samples, testing things out, smelling things, feeling them, you know, just doing my own kind of product analysis on, on the different items. But yeah, like I said, I think just approaching everything that you do for your business in the way that you would, if your boss came to you and knocked on your door and asked you to get a task done, it's, you know, you're doing it for yourself and for the sake of your future. So great put the effort towards that.
1: I think it's fantastic. So now let's, we got products in hand. We have products that you've brought over and now you're selling them. Like, how do you get the word out about what it is you're doing? Like, are you knocking on doors saying, Hey guys, try this out? Like, how is it, how has your growth uh, happened?
2: Yeah. So because I had experience working in retail as a buyer, I knew that I didn't want to go into retail because they significantly reduced the price of your items and put them on very aggressive promotion plans that I didn't wanna fund at that time. I knew that going direct to consumer on my website was the best channel. And at the end of the day, it would allow me to utilize the funds to reinvest versus giving it away to Ulta, Sephora, or any of those other guys. So I actually partnered up with a beauty box company that has a significant amount of influencers, and they had over 3 million beauty boxes that were going out every month. So I knew that if they placed um, uh, even just a relatively small purchase order. That you know, five percent of those customers would lead to traffic to my site. So that was the, that was my strategic plan from the beginning. Today we've done a lot of sponsorships with New York Fashion Week. So in September we sponsored Badgley Mishka, Cynthia Rowley and Bach Mai. and that led to this huge ba- uh, customer base of like high-end luxe customers who focus on couture designers, we were able to reap that benefit of them coming to our brand and being interested because the models wore the, the you know our makeup down the runway. And then the, the third piece is now that COVID um, has kind of gone away and things that are a little bit more quiet, I thought to myself retail may potentially be the right strategy. But to be honest with you, like the last two years, e-com was doing really well. Mm-hmm. And people were home. They were purchasing brow, eye. They were staying away from lip because of the masks. But um, if there's going to be a time to go into retail, it would be now. But I think we need to just always keep the economy's stability in mind. So as things are transforming with the recession, you know, I'm trying to be very weird, very cautious of uh, any partnerships I take on with retailers. I think this is what's
1: cool about you, your business brain, but you're also creative brain, which many of us don't have both of them. So like when I'm hearing you talk, I like I just had like the chills when you were talking about Fashion Week. I was like, damn, this is amazing. But it's not calm. I mean, many times we have to kind of plug the holes in our you know business box, if you will, because we're not good at all those things. And I'm sure a lot of those tools that you have were not, you know, some of it's who you are and what you were born with, but others, you probably had some roadblocks you had to kind of move over and, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, the journey itself. I mean, were there things that stopped you in your tracks and you're like, okay, I got to figure this shit out. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's
2: so funny. You said that because, you know, we've made owning a business sound very great, right? But here's the downfalls and the barriers. At the end of the day, when you've got money in your account, you make a, you, you're you making a decision on what to do with it. And sometimes it's it's very hard to take your personal funds and put it into a very risky decision, like ordering product or selling to a beauty box retailer or sponsoring a New York Fashion Week show you're taking your hard earned money and you're putting it into a risk funnel and you don't know what's going to come out of the funnel. So as a lot of my friends and, you know, other people were spending money on purses and vacations and buying X, Y, and Z, you know, I, those were some of the things I had to overcome is like, I need, you know, am I ready to take this hit financially and just believe in myself to that point where I'm going to sign the check off. So I think That's my caution to everyone as you think about the journey is just like, have those internal conversations with yourself and make sure you have a mentor, make sure you're ready for those types of things. Because the last thing you want is a purchase order in your email box of 700,000 units. And now you need to pull out a business loan for, you know, a couple million dollars. Can you, can you fund it? Are you, will you sleep at night knowing that if anything goes down in the world your products could be on a ship entering the U S and who knows what could happen. Um, COVID, you know, all these unknown factors that you're on the hook for. So yeah, those have been some of the things that I've had to overcome and just get very comfortable with as the glam
0: side of having your own company. Right. And it is not often that we talk about, the sacrifices. I mean, we talk about the sacrifice of the hard work and like knocking on doors and being willing to do everything from taking out the trash to meeting with the CEO that the company you want to partner with. Well, it's rare that we don't we talk about like, hey, I'm not going to be able to take that vacation. I'm not going to be able to buy that handbag. Like that all that stuff has to go to the wayside. But we'd like to think that we believe in ourselves enough to be able to do that, it's surprisingly hard though, honestly like it's surprisingly hard to have that level of self-confidence to be able to step into that
1: and also that self-discipline to be able to make that decision like okay, it's it's this or that and I think that's a real fine line between is this a business or is this a hobby? And a lot of times you find when the the decisions get tough, you know you, you, you go the easier route not taking the risk is, is you know always the the better of the path, right? But in the big big scheme, if you want to grow and you want to develop and you want to land New York Fashion Week, you know you've got to take these risks because you know uh, they can really pay off in a in a really cool way. Um, I, I find the journey of women and and the successful women, you know, we have to make those tough decisions, and sometimes they're not always pretty. Mm-hmm. Sometimes no. they don't work out, and that's what we call a <laughs> learning experience.
2: Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think in some form, I remember like waiting for the end of the year so that for my corporate role, I would get like a bonus or a raise. And, you know, I started to kind of measure like the percent that I was getting from the raise or the bonus in terms of like the company's total PL statement. And it was just so small, you know, like I would get X amount of bonus, but it didn't even translate to anywhere near 1% of the company's profits or revenue or whatever it may be. And I think what was the biggest takeaway for me was that in the beginning, I didn't realize how much you know, effort manifestation it took in order to get that ROI on my investments. So I think the big thing for other entrepreneurs out there is that if you can manifest it, if you can believe it and see it, a lot of times it will come to fruition. Um, and like you mentioned, in terms of your investment and the return that you will get, I think people will be very surprised once they start getting into their own businesses when they realize like, wow, my payout here was so high and my effort was not as high as what I contribute to a day job and my day jobs return is relatively small. So, you know, when you start weighing those factors out, it definitely makes sense. And I like what you said about a hobby you know, a lot of times businesses do start off as hobbies and then they become very serious really quick when you start making those decisions, like, you know, quitting your job or selling your house or pulling out a loan. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're passionate about it and you are willing to commit and be consistent, Mm -hmm. those are the ones who typically see the highest success rates.
0: We very famously have a good friend who has a very successful, um, catering business. And for a long time, she did cater, she said she was a caterer. But at the end of the day, she was a bartender. (laughs) And we literally spent I mean, I I would say a good two to three years telling her she had to quit that she had to quit the bartending job. She had to let that go and focus 100% on the catering business. And that leap that the confidence level to take that leap, it took years before she could get there. And honestly, as soon as she did it, never looked back. I think she has grown her company beyond any expectation she had. So, um, you're right. It is, yeah. it is, it, it can get, it can get really serious really quickly. And you've got to make that decision of whether you're all in or not, because it's never going to be what you manifest it to be. If you're not all in well, it's so, exactly. to your
1: business too, is like, we've, I don't remember who we were talking to, but it was the perfect analogy. It's like, literally falling down on your face every single day and like hitting yourself together and then going again and hitting a wall, like getting up and doing it again. And it's not like it's super easy and we all get to be these unicorns because that's not real life. I mean that does happen, but even the unicorns have their struggles. Um, and then you manage life and family and all you know just friends and trying to be a human being. I mean, there's so many moving parts of of the play, to, so to speak. Um, that it isn't easy and it's 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 okay to to go through all these different things because it does make you stronger and it does make you successful in the long run
2: absolutely yeah I think those are all really good points life has so you know has so many different facets to it and if if starting a business and being an entrepreneur is one of those that you aspire to do then you know it's all about just like you said, the sacrifice and identifying ways to incorporate it into your daily routine. Um, Because, yeah, you'll have your ups and downs, your successes, your failures. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to invest a certain amount of time in something, it kind of becomes your baby, it kind of becomes your kid, just similar to how when people have pets, and it's, you know, that becomes a part of the family. It's the same emotional connection. You know, a lot of times you hear people say when they sold their business, they felt like they lost themselves. Um, I just spoke to someone who was very successful, sold his business, built a brand, sold his business. And then now he wants it back and is going to go back and um, potentially grab it again. So, you know, it's that emotional connection and really has a high value in your mind and just in your life.
0: Well, and how many times have we seen people sell their business, and as soon as their non-compete is up, like literally to the day, they go out and start a new business. I mean, Bobby Brown, perfect example. The the second she could go out and start a new business, she rolled out a new new version. So, um, okay, so you've had this company for five years. That's in dog years for an entrepreneur. It's got to be at least 50 So, um, what's next for you? Like five, five years, you are now established, successful, real, uh, you've got your spot in the industry. Like where, where do you take it for the next five years?
2: Yeah. So, you know, originally when I started it, I thought about selling it to the big guys who own all the other brands. Um, and the more I've talked to investors and equity partners, I've come to realize that a lot of people are recommending not to sell come you know your company and that you can grow it you know as as large as you want so that's my plan is to keep it and have it as a legacy company for my children and make sure that they recognize that there's so much you could do in life i'd love to continue giving back to the community with interns from local colleges for new york fashion week i'm heading out next week to go back to new york and i'm working with parsons school of new york to get students the opportunity to work backstage with us so that they could build their resume now. It's a really crazy yeah. time for okay. jobs. Yeah. So I think, you know, keep it and it's doing well. We're going to continue thriving, merging into different categories. And personally, for me in the next three to five years, um, I'm looking into more of you know, different lines of revenue looking at investing, um, in properties, building properties, um, doing a lot with real estate and just a few other career areas of my life <clears throat> that I want to focus on. And I think that they'll all kind of come together nicely at some point as things level off. And as the companies move from this new launch stage into more of an established, um, self sufficient
1: streams button. of income, girl, it's a story we love to hear <laughs> uh where can people find your line what's your website
2: yeah so our website is www.labetefatale.com so l-a-b-e-a-u-t-e-f-a-t-a-l-e and all of our items are there and we're also of course on the most popular instagram
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it we'll go ahead and post it in our show notes You, uh, your story, where you've come from, where you're going and where you've been is just fantastic. We thank you so much for sharing you with us this afternoon and everybody else get out there this week and be inspired.